0: Humanitarian, business leader, award winning social innovator, professional development pioneer, and world record breaker. And these are just some of the words often used when referring to Ian Hill. Ian Hill is a professional development expert and he launched the most innovative professional and personal development models ever created from the use of live video streaming starting as early as 2010. To a proprietary behavioral change model that helps participants maximize their potential personally and professionally whole cities and major corporations have participated in his programs and benefited from demonstrated quantifiable and lasting change ian hill is here today right here on voices of courage with your host Randy Jay. And let me tell you, he has done something so amazing, so significant, but has such an amazing story to have gotten him to where he is now. And let me just tell you, Ian Hill is attempting to set another world record by becoming the oldest man to play college football. And I think and know that you guys are going to want to hear his amazing story. Thank you for joining us, Ian Hill. And this episode here, I truly, truly hold closely to my heart. So let's tune in. What is of Courage. Let's go.
1: You know, I was listening to your, uh, one of your podcasts, and I thought it was very powerful. You were... It's delivering a message on the way we view other people and their experiences. And uh, I thought it was good. It was, it was provoking, thought-provoking.
0: Thank
1: you. So, Thank you. Well I done. It. Oh, I well, like the
0: nicest thing I think ever,
1: anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> well, you know, I was, two things about it. One, it was obviously Personal as you talked about people who attempt to equate their experience to the experience of African-Americans or attempt to diminish the experience based on their own autobiography. And, uh, forgive me. I don't remember what the episode was called, but, uh, you were talking about, you know, you were talking about whether it be a traffic stop or, other experiences and how people might say well oh I've been stopped before or anyways it was good
0: yeah I think I don't know what you, what you, which one you're referring to where, where it's like oh it's not just because you're black it's like you know like that experience you know yeah where, yeah, where people um, just don't take it into regard to kind of blow it off and feel like if they don't notice or see it then it must not be happening
1: <laughs> I was um I grew up in Tucson Arizona as in the 70s and early 80s and one of my coaches was the first african-american teacher in the history of the tucson unified school district his name was bill bell and i went to a predominantly caucasian school it was the the wealthiest school in tucson i lived right on the line of the uh, zone so i ended up going to that school although i wasn't wealthy. And I think there was one African, maybe two or three, maybe total African-American students in our whole school. And then I'm dark complected because I'm Persian. And routinely I was ridiculed, spit on and uh, uh, attacked for my ethnicity, right? Because it was right about the time of the Iran- hostage crisis mm. and so coach bell befriended me and became a mentor to me he gave me the autobiography of martin Luther king jr and uh had me read it it was powerful and then because i didn't really have my adopted mother died when i was five and my adopted father for in all intents and purposes left when i was 13 And there was an African-American family in Tucson, the Fowler family. And they were known as tremendous athletes. The two sisters won the state championship in the discus and the shot put. And the two brothers played in the NFL. And the little brother was my best friend at the time. And so they always took care of me. And so it was interesting to watch the African American experience in those early years in Tucson, both from a family that was close to me, who happened to be a business owner, he owned Big Al's Barbecue, and then a teacher, who was the first African American teacher in that city. It was just interesting to watch the experience, and I found that I wasn't welcome in the Caucasian community, and I wasn't welcome in the African American community both communities would say, Well, why are you here? You don't belong here. So it was interesting. Um and then when Coach Bell gave me that autobiography of Dr. King, it was a transformational time. And uh in no way could I possibly understand the African American experience. But it certainly I had a glimpse, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not, uh, it's not fun to be spit on. Yeah. As I, I, as I was beaten in the corner of the locker room and called Sand Nigger over and over again. Yeah.
0: That's...
1: And, and, you know, you learn and you grow. That's why I think what, what you were talking about when I got out of the car and ran into my house to talk to you, you were just talking about, you know, you, you can't understand some truly understand someone else's experience. So, I think that's why your message on that podcast resonated with me to some degree wow. it's a It's a unique situation in our country you know
0: yeah very, very, and it takes empathy you want to you know understanding and empathy to really you know grasp it and even grasp the the ignorance to it also, but with empathy, it's like you know you just um. Just have, you know, you just try try to understand, or with empathy, it just, it's just—it's no right, right or wrong. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like—it
1: doesn't mean I agree with you. I just try to understand and feel, and intellectually and emotionally understand where you're coming from. My daughters are very progressive, and there was a BLM march in our community, and my daughters attended, and I didn't, and I was there. But I was sitting and eating lunch across from the state capitol while they were marching. And my daughter came over, 16 years old now. Why aren't you marching? I said, because I'm eating lunch. She said, why aren't you marching? You're a racist. That's what my daughter said to me. You're a racist. I said, okay. One, I'm not a racist. Two, just because I don't get up and march. So I took her home. I brought her in my office. I said, see that plaque? says Humanitarian of the Year, Martin Luther King Jr. Commission. This one says Child Advocate of the Year, NAACP. I didn't get that because I'm a racist. Just because I didn't get up and march with you, young lady, doesn't mean that I'm not advocating every day. And it's just a, you know, we, we label. Even my own daughter, and I love my daughter, of course, right? And she's at that age where she just wants to be obstinate. But you know, we are, we, whether it be the logo that we wear, the car that we drive, the music we listen to, all of a sudden it defines us, right? And we yeah. get pigeonholed into a corner of what we are. You are a this. Well, you don't know nothing about me. I started a school. I donated 168 playgrounds. I uh, opened up youth centers. I mean, you don't know me. Just because I choose to eat lunch instead of get up and yell and scream? Come on now. Yeah. So I, 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 all of that to just say I thought your words were wise. I tell that they were personal. And you could tell that you were advocating for empathy. Let's just try to figure out where someone else is coming from. And then we'll decide if we want to align with them or not, right? Yeah. But at least give them a freaking chance to explain where they're coming from. Most definitely. <laughs> so, I'd anyways, say, how long have you been doing this? Uh three, maybe three and a half years. And why are you doing it? Uh
0: well, I started while well, I was a school teacher, and then I just saw an app one day and I said, Oh, I can uh like talk and people listen, and then I did it and I haven't stopped. Uh I just um do it to I find it to be a very uh amazing way to to get to send a a message to a mass amount of people at one time and whatever message that can be I have the power to make it you know negative positive or whatever I want it to be and since I have so much you know love and so much to to share and so many things to talk about you know I um I enjoyed I enjoyed doing it because um I just want to change the world, and people usually tell me like, "Oh, that's uh, you can't change the world. That's stupid. Nobody can change the world." Yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, whatever. I mean, for the most part, I think the um, common sense people know what I mean when I say change the world. Because with everyone, everyone that says that, and with everyone that actually does it, we are changing the world. Because if the world wasn't changing, then we would still be in a whole different time, right? Um, what of? Uh, what how far have we came along since slavery even think even though this is kind of modern day but it's not like how it used to be before so and that was through people advocating doing you know doing things and and be having the courage to be that person that went against the grain or you know that just wanted to to see better and instead of complaining they actually did it themselves instead of waiting for a government or someone else to decide they decided to do it themselves you know and so I just wanted to you know reach the world truly to to spread love empathy kindness through all all of the things that we endure and that we go through at the end of the day you know if we start there then I think you know we have a chance of figuring out (laughs) you know the rest of
1: it so so that's Uh, what So two things, Brandy. One, that'll preach right there. Uh, That would definitely preach. And secondly, from a guy who has done eight things that have never been done and tried to change the world, I realized that I'm not going to change the world. Most of us don't possess the greatness to bend history itself. Yeah. But we can change our corner. Yeah. And I think that's the goal, change your corner. Now, your situation, you have a very unique opportunity because you've chosen a vehicle where you can plant seeds. And whether it's from you or your guests, seeds are planted. Some of those seeds will land on rocky ground and some of those seeds will bear fruit. And so your seeds that you're planting, you, you will never know. You couldn't possibly know who's on the other side of your voice. But you just keep casting seed, trusting that some of those seeds will land in fertile ground. And then that person will take that seed of inspiration, that seed of knowledge, that tool, that tip, that kick in the butt, that pat on the back, whatever it is you happen to be delivering when they listen. And then they'll go, and they'll go change their little corner of the world. And you won't ever know. And it can be discouraging because you don't know. Sometimes no one's sending you an email, a note. Yeah. But I would just suggest your job is not the result. Your job is to cast the seed. And just be faithful at casting the seed. What yeah. you're doing. Which you're doing. Which is awesome.
0: <laughs> Are you trying to make me cry?
1: <laughs> Good. That means you care.
0: <laughs> yes, I do. I'm a crybaby.
1: <laughs> That's all right. So am I. So am I. It means we care. That means things break our heart. That means we, co- we haven't become so jaded and crusty by life. We're still alive. We're not walking dead going through the motions of life. You cry exactly. because you're scared, you cry because you're alive, you cry because you your heart breaks for, for those who are in pain, and you can't stand it. And so you have to, you have to do the show, whether there's one person listening or a million people listening. The number that are listening doesn't matter. Just be faithful to your job, do your job, and your job is to put the word out. It can, But I, like I said, it can be discouraging, because you don't know. You may never know. But you still cast the seed, right? Yeah, most definitely. All right, what are we doing, girl? Yes,
0: ah, uh, we are. Well, I this is a little different. I mean, in the you know the very beginning, beginning, I can you know clip that. But I kind of liked the way this naturally just came. We just started talking, and I know I I've, I've read what you um done and what you've been through, and. Um, I just basically want to have, go ahead and have this uh, conversation with you uh, and ask you some questions because you have a message, you know, especially for um, middle-aged um, men because you also, uh, it also made me take a look at um, some men that I know, right, that yeah. <clears throat> that I was thinking like, well, well, maybe, you know, this is, you know, what's, what's going on and it's coming out in a different a different manner. Now, I wanted yes. to start by asking you: Do you, do you believe that when you have a trauma, when you are a child, and it's not um, ever addressed taken, you know addressed or any type of healing—that it will always come back later in life, no matter what you what's going on, no matter what relationships or anything—that will always, you know, come back and be
1: a setback or an issue. Well, here's what I would say. And I think it's a very good question, right? One little boy gets screamed at or sees a parent scream at the other parent. And they go in their room and they're mortified. And it crushes their vision of what those two individuals and their love is like, right? Another boy sees the exact same experience and it goes off of them like teflon so i think the first thing is that not every experience impacts every child the same way but we do know we do know that the experiences of our childhood create certain patterns in our brain that's scientifically sound that if like in my case I was about to be hit, I knew that my dad, my adopted father, would get a certain look on his face. So over a period of time, I knew to start blocking when he started to get that look on his face. And that created a pattern of behavior, a subconscious pattern of behavior to protect me, right? Right. But later in life, well, and let me just say that pattern served me well, (laughs) Because I didn't get hit as hard, because I blocked it. I'm no fool. When he gets that look, (laughs) a punch is coming. Block. (laughs) So later in life, if somebody gives me that look subconsciously, what am I going to do? I'm going to block. So all of a sudden, that pattern that protected me all of a sudden isn't serving me well. So to answer your question very directly, I think you're right. Patterns are created. Now some people would say coded, other words might be used, but I'll just use the word patterns. Patterns are created, and they're so deeply ingrained, they literally create grooves in our brain. Later in life, those patterns don't serve us well anymore. Now there's other patterns. Like we all have a friend that always seems to date just the wrong person, <laughs> right? They just mm-hmm. they just pick the wrong person. <laughs> And whether that is somebody that they can't really get, there's just no way they can have them, but they fall in love with them anyways. Or maybe they fall in love really quick, and then it never lasts. Or maybe they just jump from relationship to relationship. We know that all of those could, not guaranteed, but could be indicators of some kind of abandonment. Patterns were created when they had a sense of abandonment as a child, And they manifest themselves, those same patterns, then manifest themselves in behaviors that no longer serve them well. So to answer your question clearly, yes, I think we create patterns and then later in life, those patterns no longer serve us well. They actually could even be detrimental to us. And next thing you know, those patterns of thinking, those patterns of behavior, those patterns of communication – are actually an impediment to us being what we could be. So what do we have to do? We have to change our patterns.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Do you think that it's possible for someone to be completely unaware
1: that this is even going, going on with them? Oh, 100%. 85 to, to 90% of our behavior is unconscious. So it's guaranteed. Guaranteed that the patterns that we use every day we're oblivious to. We do do 85 to 90% of what we do without thinking. Think about this, Brandy. Someone says something to you, and for whatever reason, it sets you off. Now, some people use the word trigger, right? Right. Somebody says that, that word, you lose it. Somebody sends you that message, whether body language, tone of voice, and you lose it. But if you unpack that, it wasn't in that moment. Their behavior set you off. Because it triggered a subconscious pattern or something that was meant to protect you in the past or meant to hold you back. So as you use that word trauma, the trauma created certain patterns. Our body is not stupid and the subconscious mind is only there to protect us. It doesn't know nuance. It doesn't evaluate. It just makes snap decisions to protect us. So we involve ourselves in patterns which end up being destructive because they're patterns that no longer serve us well. So you're right. You're absolutely correct. I, and I think it, the science proves it out. The trauma creates patterns. We live those patterns out. 85 to 90% of our behavior is unconscious, and we have no idea that we're even living those patterns until we get the third DUI or Ooh. until we have the second divorce or till our third kid goes into rehab. And then we're like, oh, crap. Maybe the way I'm doing life isn't serving me well.
0: Wow, 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 wow. That's good, good stuff right there. So I would, would you say that a lot of times, um, let's say within relationships, um, any kind of relationship, but mainly uh, <clears throat> a significant other, would you say that a lot of times that the that the issues that may they may be having or arise a lot of times could stem from maybe both or the other um childhood uh, traumas and patterns that never were resolved like if a father um left or you know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, yeah. So, something that you know, happens to them often, and then it plays out within their relationship, and they think they're just having a couple. Like, she's crazy. he's crazy. And it's like, she's tripping, but it's really not. It's This is, um,
1: those, not, this is that childhood, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it could be childhood, but it could be anything else, right? It could be early yeah. adulthood. Now, you're right to observe that so much of it does come from unresolved patterns or, or, or patterns that no longer serve us well throughout our lives that we apply. So think of it as baggage that we bring into the relationships. We bring this baggage into the relationship. And instead of taking that baggage and turning it into luggage, right? Luggage for the trip It's still baggage and it weighs us down. And because we have these patterns that we bring into the relationship, we don't self-identify. Hey, just so you know, I get really freaky deaky if you were to go and hang out with other guys. And you'd be like, well, what's the deal? And I'd be like, well, I was dating this girl one time. She used to always tell me she was work, but she was going out and hanging out with these guys. And then she ended up cheating on me. And so I'm kind of afraid that you might do that to me, even though you've given me no indication of that. But I'm just a little freaky deaky around that. So until we build real trust, could you just do me a favor and not do that? And you'd go, oh, wow. okay. if that's really sensitive to you, I'll try to I'll try to make sure that I don't. or I'll let you know where I'm at. So when we self-identify the potential landmine for our partner, the next thing you know, we have a more harmonious relationship, right?
0: Yeah, for sure, most definitely. So basically speaking,
1: I I mean, either they're going to run for the hills or or not. So (laughs) You're going to find out. Here's the thing, Brandy, I always say, strong boundaries for how you're valued and treated. However, if I don't identify to you the potential landmine that you're going to walk on, that's not fair to you. So, hey, Brandy, I had girlfriends that cheated on me before, so I'm a little freaky-deaky when you talk to your old boyfriend. I'm a little freaky-deaky when you post uh, or like or make a comment on your old boyfriend's post on Instagram or on Snap or whatever, and you'll be like, oh. Gosh, that would suck. Like you've talked about empathy in one of your podcasts before. That would suck to be cheated on. I better understand why you might have that pattern. And then I seek to understand what patterns you're coming to the relationship with. And the next thing you know, we both self-identified. We both have strong boundaries of how we're valued and treated. And as long as each other respects those, we're going to have a more harmonious relationship. Now, I'll be honest. Those patterns are really hard. They're deep in our subconscious. 85 to 90% of those patterns are just, they're unconscious and we do them without thinking. So it does take work. It does take work. But the beauty, the hope, the hope is this. This is what gives us hope, Randy. Neuroplasticity. Our ability to rewire our brain gives us hope. It's a scientific fact that we can rewire our brain and we can change those patterns and replace them with new patterns. And that's the exciting thing. So whether it's someone who has a an addiction to a chemical of some kind, or maybe they just have an addiction to hanging out with the wrong partner. Like we all know somebody like that. Yeah. The good news is we can fix that. We can create new patterns of thinking, new patterns of communication, and new patterns of behavior.
0: Very, very true. Very true. It's just all about getting there, that mindset. And, um, you know, I guess at a point being emotionally, uh, what do you call it? Mature or, you know, cause some people are just hell bent, you know, on, you know, you said, nay, they say, yeah, your sky's blue. They say it's, you know, it's always something else. And it's never really what it is being able to identify with your, you know, unhealthy um, patterns and being able to, uh, communicate them to, to someone that takes for, you know, some very um, emotionally, I would say mature individuals and, and, and quite a bit of confidence to be even able to express that to someone because a lot of people see that it it's weakness and yeah. ego, it's the way, a, a lot ego. I tell people throw ego in the trash because it's, it's not doing you any favors.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that, Someone might be saying right now, Brandy, how's this guy know so much about it? I read his bio. He's done a lot, but he's no damn doctor. It's because (laughs) I had a bunch of patterns. that took me to a place where I wanted to take my own life. Getting all kinds of awards, being recognized for making a significant difference, both in my own community, my state, my country, Canada, around the world. I I still wanted to take my own life because all of those people telling me I was awesome... But in my own brain, I had a pattern that said I was a piece of crap
0: Mm.
1: and that I was a piece of you know what. And so I did all this research because I wanted to kill myself. Brandy, every day for months, years, all I could think about was taking my own life. And the only thing that stopped me was that I knew it would negatively affect my children and my family. But you know what? I was already negatively affecting them. So I just studied I said, I don't want to die, but I can't live like this. And I just started studying. And what I came to the conclusion of was I can change my patterns. And then I went to work. And the first thing was no shame, no shame, no right, wrong, good or bad. It's just a pattern that doesn't serve me well. Change it. It's not a pattern that serves me well anymore. Change it. And I think that's freeing, um, when you take that, I'm a horrible human being. I need to change my pattern. No, it just doesn't serve me well anymore. I'm going to attack it, change it, and create a new pattern. Right. Yeah,
0: tough. I definitely like that. How that you know it sounds so easy, and but but it is. But others make it seem so hard. But I think that, like I say, I always think it has to do to do with ego. You know, uh, because we are. I think we all somewhere you know know inside even if we don't conscious subconscious or consciously know it that we we have the ability and we have the control and the power to change our situation tremendously. I think ego and fear like you know gets gets in the way and that's another reason why I like um, podcasting too because I like to um, to talk in ways where I could possibly help break that down for, for people because I feel like we a lot of we need to hear even if it's not directly but hear positive, you know, affirmations or just hear positive things because we're exposed to so much negative, you know? That's all everybody talks about, negative, 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 you know? And I just like to build people up, and you know, just like we're so much more powerful and in control and that you're, whatever you went through yesterday, you know, it's not
1: what you've been through, it's where you're going, (laughs) you know? Can I, uh, with your permission, can I maybe lay out one of the steps that I took to start to unwind that? And start to move back amongst the living? Yes, for sure, for sure. Go so, right ahead. Yeah, but let's start so, by saying this first. Sure. Ian
0: Hill. Cause I don't think we said that begin <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, we just got to
1: talking. It was like, hey, let's just talk. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Ian Hill. That's right. So so one of the things I identified. Okay, I don't I don't want to die. I feel like I want to kill myself. I feel like I'm a piece of S H I, you know what. And I tell myself that every day. Yeah, but they gave you the key to the city. Literally, they gave you a key to a city. And I went upstairs and I got to my hotel and all I did was tell myself how horrible I was. How horrible a human being I was. I hated myself. And as soon as they found out what I really was, they'd hate me too. That's what went in my head every day. Well, first thing I came to learn was this thing called neuroplasticity. You could rewire your brain. Okay, how do you do that? Well, first of all, the the, the brain doesn't know what not to do. You can't tell it not to. Don't look over there. You will immediately look over there, right? So I learned that you had to replace that pattern. So I started the thing that I would do every day. Before I turned and looked at my phone, before I looked at social, before I looked at the news, before I looked at ESPN, before I did anything, I'd wake up in the morning and I was going to set my brain. And I was going to take inventory of who I really was. I learned that 70 billion people have lived on the planet, Brandy, and there's never been anybody like me. Wow! That from the beginning of time, there was nobody like me, and there will never be anybody like me. So like you, Brandy, there's never been anybody like you, and there'll never be anybody like you. I learned that science told me there was enough energy within me to light a small city. That there was no computer in the world that could touch my brain. I'm dumb as a box of rocks. And there was not a computer in the world that could touch my brain. That I had enough atomic energy within me to light a small city. That that's who I was. I wasn't defined by my failure. I wasn't defined by a divorce. I wasn't defined by a mistake. And I wasn't defined by a success either. That I inherently had value, period. And so I meditated on that every morning. I read what science told me. I read what the great philosophers told me about me. I read what people were saying about the human capacity and the human ability and the incredible rarity of a human being from their eyes to their ears, to their fingerprints, to our ability to run and jump and speak, to our skin, to our heart that beats thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times. No engine on the planet can do what our heart does. That's who you are, Brandy. That's who I am. But all of the negative messages that we get every day, they tell us a different story. Your teeth aren't white enough. Your hair is not nice enough. Your grass is not green enough. Your car is not new enough. Your house isn't big enough. You're not enough. Well, hell yes, I'm enough. So I started that every morning, telling myself, taking an inventory of who I was and what I was rare and unique creature with incredible talent ability. 70 billion people have lived on a planet. There's nobody like me. And that started to change the pattern. And so that's what I would say to your listeners. And Brandy, I'd say that to you before we do anything in our day. Let's remind ourselves of who we are and what we are before we go to take on the challenges. Because then we'll know that we have what it takes to take on our challenges. Yep.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. That when you get up in the day, you have the power to control kind of how that day goes. But it would take someone having to, you know, people get up, they rush, take care of their kids, got to get to work, got to do this, got to do that. You know, I'm like, well, when do you stop to, to take care of you? When do you start? You know, and I think that's very important to do that so that when the day, you know, things, you know, throughout the day come your way, it's that you're already, you know, set in that motion where you can take, take them on and they're just not happening to you, you know? So I
1: find that's... Be- 100%, 100%. And we have the control of the three things that matter. We have the control of our thoughts. We have the control of our words. We have the control of our actions. Ultimately, those are the only three things that matter that can get us out of the mess that we're in. Someone listening is in debt. Thoughts, words, actions will get you out. Someone just got a divorce. Thought, words, actions will take those feelings of emptiness that will subside as you grow. And I could go on and on. Thoughts, words, actions. Thoughts, words, actions. So that was the next thing I had to do. Start to control my thoughts, my words, and my actions. No more thoughts about how horrible I was. No more words and only actions that would move me forward. And I have to be honest with you. Sometimes that was down to five minutes. What am I going to do for the next five minutes that's positive? And then what am I going to do for the next five minutes and the next five minutes and the next five minutes? And it just started to build some momentum.
0: Wow. So how long did you uh, keep this up until it became like a. To the, to the point where new, it was just a like... A new pattern? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. You exactly. were doing it because you, you did it so much. It was just like, you know, natural as anything else. Well, I have to tell you,
1: I am thick-headed. So I launched into this. And you would think that it would take hold right away. But it didn't. It took time and it took time. And then I started to try... You know, because I had owned businesses previously. So I started a new one, failed miserably. Did another thing, failed miserably. And so I said, see, you're a piece of crap. You're never going to give back the past glory. You're never, never. And then I said, you know what? I have to lock into a goal that will force me, force me to make these patterns who I am. Well, I had broken a world record a few years before that. I'd given the world's longest speech, which your listeners right now are like, oh, crap, we're going to be here all day. So <laughs> I'd, given, I'd given the world's longest speech to raise money for a bunch of kids. And I spoke for 51 and a half hour. Okay. So I thought, OK, I'll do another world record. Well, what world record would force me to be disciplined, force me to do this meditation in prayer, force me to eat properly, force me to get in the gym, force me to make all those good choices that make such a positive contribution to your mental wellness, right? And I thought, you know what? When I was a kid, sports saved me. Sports changed my life. Took a punk kid and gave him a chance. You know what? I'll play sports again. Not only that, I'll be the oldest man to ever play college football. And that's the goal that I set and the quest that I'm on right now. Be the wow. oldest man to ever play Division One, NCAA Division One college football and so originally it started out as a quest to save my own life and as it moved forward and people started to come on board and help people like chris rubio the number one long snapping coach in the country literally he's the best in the world at what he does people like got dr connor hogan one of the top neuroscientists in the world working with me three to five times a week kirk henderson a performance coach that works with first-round draft choice in the NFL. This team came around me and said, we believe in you. Then we decided, well, if I'm going to do this, maybe we could tell other men. Maybe other men could come along and they could work through their challenges and I proved that all things are possible. So what turned out to be a goal that I set to give me some structure has now become a goal that, Others are involving themselves in, and we're gonna go try to be the oldest man to ever play college football.
0: I love it. I love it. That's so, so amazing. Did when you were going through this, like, um, because I know I read to also when you were younger, and I'm so sorry that you had to experience. You know, in any of what you experienced, uh, when when was there any resolve like, um, when you were, you know, taken advantage by like adults, was there any type of resolve growing up, you know, and becoming a man, did any of it get addressed or did it even, did it even arise in you at that time? Or, or was it as you, um, was it when you decided to, to change, you know, your thinking and you, you knew you didn't want to, you know, um, kill yourself and that you had children to live for like where at some point did it really hit? I don't know if I'm um, asking this, right? Like your trauma, what you had been through rise during your, your, you know, your time of growing up yeah, or did I, it? I, it did.
1: Sit. And it was, it's funny. I thought I'd fixed it. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I, yeah. I was sexually abused by a man. Okay. I got that under control. The stuff he did to me in that closet You can't talk about publicly, but I feel good and I I can say it out loud and I'm good. Or, oh, yeah, you know, I was forced to have sex with a 42 year old woman when I was 11 years old. I'm good. I worked that out. I feel good. Or, hey, you know, my adopted mom died in front of me when I was five and and I had to go tell everybody that my mom was dead. And but, you know, I dealt with that. And then my adopted father left when I was 13. And okay, it's all good. So I thought I was doing great. I'm kicking ass, got businesses in Canada and the United States, and I'm winning awards. And... But down deep inside, I knew I wasn't wired right. The car was flying down the freeway, but underneath the hood, it was a mess. So, you know, you, 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 you look at the indicators around you, and you say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all good. And then you have a bump, failed business. But you pull out and you rebuild. And everybody's like, hey, look at him. Yay, look how cool he is. Yep, I got it under control. But because I never actually really took care of it, didn't deal with the abandonment issues, didn't deal with the self-loathing, didn't actually fix it, talked about it a lot, but didn't change the patterns, eventually the wheels were going to fall off. And they did. And when they did, Brandy, sadly, it hurt a lot of people. So, my mental illness is not an excuse. I can't, I can't. I have to accept the responsibility for my words and my actions. But also, my mental illness doesn't mean I'm not capable. I'm capable. My mental illness doesn't mean I don't have capacity. I have capacity. And my mental illness doesn't mean I can't do the impossible. Well, I'll do the impossible. But at the end of the day, I have a mental illness. And you gotta address it. You gotta take it head on. And it might be something that I have to work through every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, most definitely. I really appreciate the fact that you addressed and you um
0: you spoke on mental mental illness and the responsibility and how it's not an excuse. And I say that because, you know, I get kind of bothered when, say for instance, what just happened with uh you know, with all the shootings and how quickly we just say oh it was mental health mental illness mental disorders and to me i think it's kind of rude, disrespectful because it's like you just disregard people that really have you know mental illnesses and and that it's already hard for people to talk about it come forward or you know it's just something that a lot of people don't even or not even where they have or a lot of people or were brought up to not talk about those those things right and now you just everything over there and then make it seem like they're kind of like bad people right that when you have those issues when you have those th- issues this is what you do and so I think that um, you saying that and and explaining you know your your story but also acknowledging the mental illness that you have to be responsible for and that you take care of is important because I think yeah. people just slap things on it and just call it what it is and that's what people's problem is you know
1: Well, the fact of the matter is, my business is crashing and burning. That debt needs to be paid back. My daughters, who I walked downstairs and told everybody in my family that I was gonna kill myself, I gotta reconcile that with them. They're scarred from that. And so yeah, you can stand up and say, you have to stand up and say and be transparent. And some will be incredibly forgiving understanding and will rush to support you. But I don't want to sugarcoat it. There'll be some that don't get it and don't understand it and they won't forgive and they will be bitter and they will be angry. And that's sad and it's unfortunate, but it is part of it. And so we just have to be honest and say, all we can do when we've created pain and hurt is do what we can, the best that we can, reconcile if people don't want to reconcile then that's not on us anymore we try right um it's hard you know we talk about shootings and killings i the incident in texas just broke my heart and it was a cumulative effect of how many right how many does it take i thought about that young man who, the murderer, he shot his grandmother in the face before he went to the school. Now, think about where a kid's head would have to be to shoot your grandmother in the face Mm -hmm. and not from 100 yards away. So clearly, he was, quote-unquote, mentally ill. But anybody that's killing people is mentally ill, Unless you're a trained law enforcement or a trained soldier, right? Right. So, we're broken in our country, Brandy. This country is broken. Oh, yes. I love this country. Unlike most of the people that may be listening, I wasn't born in this country. I was born in a foreign country. I was smuggled into this country by the United States Air Force in 1965. That adopted father that I mentioned to you was the United States Air Force Sergeant. He was stationed in Tehran, Iran, and brought me to this country. I know I'm lucky to be free. I know I'm lucky to live in a land where I can be free. Can you imagine if I was still in that other country? Are we perfect? Hell no. Have we walked away from our principles and values over and over again? Yes. But in principle, principle now. We have the potential to be the greatest country in the history of mankind. But today we're broken. We're just straight up broken. There's no way you can say anything else. And we got to fix it. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing, Brandy. You're bringing seeds of inspiration. You're bringing tools. You're bringing tips. And you're having real conversation about real, real issues that matter. And you're on the front lines trying to bring people together and have courageous conversations and i applaud you for it. thank you. it's
0: not easy especially with censorship and you know how that goes when you uh i guess you know good intentions good people you know uh saying you know the truth of the matter it's not looked at you know as um <laughs> you know yeah it that. is hard. yeah you
1: know i I just, I feel like I have to say this, you know, it's so funny and what I love about these kind of conversations, it's just me and you, whether a million people are listening, or just two people are listening you and I are just having a chat at Starbucks. You know what I mean? Um, you're doing something special and unique and you're not responsible for the result, but you are responsible to continue to cast the seed and keep on pushing the information out. And then what people do with it is their responsibility. But don't you stop what you're doing, girl. Just keep doing it. And whether it's one person, just one person gets on fire because of something they heard through your efforts, something said by you or one of your guests, and that one person gets on fire and impacts thousands upon thousands. But the seed came from you. You know, I always use the analogy of an apple. I could take an apple, core it, and put all the seeds of the apple out on a table. On average, 18 to 22 seeds in an apple, right? But, Brandy, how many apples in a seed? That's a real question. I'm asking you, how many apples in a seed? <laughs> how many? Mm, one, well, one, right? Is this a Think trick about question. Now. You can count <laughs> how many seeds in an apple, right? Mm-hmm. 18 to 22 on average. But if you pick up that seed and look at that seed, how many apples are in that seed? Hmm. Wait a minute. None.
0: Wait, one. Okay, I think that these are one I'm so yeah. So that now. seed
1: turns into a tree, right? Oh. Shit. And then, how many apple seeds, or how many apples, are produced by that seed? Uh, ah. Yeah. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, countless. And that's what you're doing because when you impact one person through this podcast, you're planting that one apple seed and then they turn out and they plant seeds and plant seeds and plant seeds. And that's the only way we're going to defeat evil. One person at a time, one person at a time. And that's what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I tell people it might not, you know, it might not, you know, grow right away, but (laughs) it's there, you know, and, uh, See what, see what happens, but yeah, well, I about that way too hard. When you ask me that automatically well, because
1: like- it, it, it's <laughs> tricky, you know, it's <laughs> tricky because you look at a seed and you go, Oh crap. Holy crap. How many apples are in this thing? Thousands. Yeah. Over the lifetime of that tree that grows from that seed, there's going to be thousands of apples, right? Yeah. So every thought that we think and every word that we speak and every action that we take plants a seed into the universe. And those seeds bear fruit. So every one of these podcasts that you're pushing out is planting a seed. And they will bear fruit. You might not ever know, though. You might not ever hear. You might not ever see. You just got to trust and keep casting the seed, casting the seed.
0: I like that. Well, gosh darn it. Whose podcast show, are, are, are we on here? Are you on mine or mine yours? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I truly, I love the way this, um, you know, this went. Uh, When I read your story and then got your, you know, felt your vibe, I was like, this is going to be good because, you know, we're going to have, I like to have, con- I don't like interviews, I like
1: conversations. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at it too. You're very good. You hold space for someone to share. Yes, yes. Do you know, appreciate- can I can I um, tell your audience where they can follow along this world record attempt?
0: Oh yes, most definitely. I was, trust me, I was going to ask
1: that, but yes, please share with our um, audience. So they can go to seasontoseverlife dot org, dot org, and if you're a man who's struggling right now, you can go to that website. If you need immediate help, there's a link that you can click for the National Suicide Lifeline. If you just need resources, there's a link you can click and you'll be taken to one of our partners that have incredible tools specifically for men. And they can do, you can do a couple surveys, you can do some analysis, they can even help you find a therapist in your community. So, season to save a life.org, season to save a And you know what, Brandy, I got my first tryout coming up. Oh my goodness. Oh my. July 23rd, University of North Alabama in Florence, Alabama. Oh, wow, we've got to you got to keep us posted. Oh, yeah, Definitely have to And then I'll be um hopefully fingers crossed, uh the paperwork is in. We'll see if the compliance department allows it at the University of Idaho on July 29th. So, I'm going to go try out. And we've been working really hard and we've been snapping the football, we've been lifting the weights, we've been Doing everything we're supposed to be doing, and I feel very confident that I'll be playing Division One college football very soon. That's so amazing! I'm definitely
0: going to have to follow you. Do like I'm going to do some small like uh, cast or whatever, and I'm going to stalk you basically. And uh,
1: you.
0: we're going we're to follow you.
1: <laughs> Look at this, Randy. Trust me, I'm going to stalk you because you're doing something cool and special, and I'm excited to let the world know the amazing work that you're doing from teacher to podcaster and still teaching and still sharing and still encouraging. It's awesome. Thank you. I thank you. I appreciate you so much.
0: You really uh, gave me some, some hope, some inspiration, you know, that I think I was in need of. And I truly appreciate you for that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on.
0: Yes. Anytime, anytime. And so Is there any social media? Is it just that there's any social media? They can to
1: that website and from there um, they can see all of the links and all of the information and they can follow. We post videos of the uh, given update every week. And they can actually join and be a training partner with me. So they can set their own goal. Can be a man, could be a woman. You have your own goal. I'm trying to be the oldest man to play college football, but maybe your goal is that you're going to reconcile with a loved one. Or maybe you're going to go climb a mountain. Or maybe you're just going to change your patterns. And then you can put it in there. And then I'll hang out with you. And you'll hang out with me. And we'll quote unquote train together. And that's all I'm trying to do is create a group of people who are training to better themselves. And I'll just be the crazy guy trying to do what I'm doing. And then everybody else will do what they're doing. And we'll all train together. And uh, it doesn't cost anything. um, Because of the generosity of a lot of people, including my company you know, we don't need any money. What we need is people just to rally and say, you know what, we're not completely satisfied with the way this thing is going down. Let's start creating some hope and some excitement by changing ourselves first and then going and changing our little corner of the world.
0: I love it. I love it so much. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing because that's amazing. And I'm definitely going to share share um, everything that you just um, told us and definitely carry that message on because we need that and you're you're a good man and I thank you
1: thank you Randy thanks you for having me
0: yes yes well until next time everyone this is Voices of Courage with Randy J and the great Ian Hill <laughs> I truly really appreciated having Ian Hill right here on Voices of Courage because he really embodies what courage is, to allow himself to be open vulnerable, to share his story, and to encourage others, as he did for myself. If you didn't notice, the way the show began was a little different than most of my shows. It really started off with Ian just being himself and being a very encouraging and appreciative person. What you don't get a lot, or we don't see a lot in this time, but it's there. It's just that we don't notice it because of media and all those things. But there's people like Ian, but Ian is special himself, and there's only one Ian Hill. This I do know. Ian has encouraged me, and I know that there is definitely a reason why we crossed paths. And I'm just so grateful to share him, his journey, our talk with all of you, and to say thank you to the great Ian Hill. Keep doing what you're doing because we're watching. And we believe in you. I do. And thank you for helping me believe more in
1: me.